This is Thinking Drinking, a podcast about drinks, trivia, and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim, and I'm joined in the virtual pub by my drinking buddy, Ilyri. What are you drinking and thinking about today? Hi, Tim. Hi. Uh, I'm drinking. Well, I was thinking about how in one of our previous podcasts, we both said that we weren't massive vodka drinkers. Yes. So I tried to hunt down a vodka that I would like. And I've been recommended this vodka, which is an AU vodka, and it's a black grape vodka, and I'm enjoying it. I'm thinking about the Michelin Man. Okay, segue there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for it to be related. something to do with vodka, or something to do with black grapes, or you know, possibly nope. a grunge band, or possibly gold. <laughs> no, nope, absolutely nothing. I'm just thinking about the Michelin Man. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, I suppose what I would say to that is nunc est bibendum. Uh, okay. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just feeling a bit Latin. Um, so <laughs> the Michelin man's name is bibendum, and that comes from a quote by Horace, nunc est bibendum, uh, which means now is the time for drinking. Mm. Very appropriate for a Sprite. So I, I, I should tell you, I am drinking a whiskey. So this, I do have a link, but it's pretty tenuous. I was thinking, what, what? could I do to match Michelin? Obviously, they make tyres, they're made of rubber, and uh, this whiskey is a bit peaty, which means it has a note of rubber. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that is tenuous. It's, it's just the said... curious, isn't it? I just said, oh, Horace is a Scottish name. Oh, some whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you think Horace is Scottish. Is it not? <laughs> oh, it sounds like if you shouted it in a Scottish accent, it'd be great. Horace! Horace! He was, um, he was a Roman Disgusting! Poet. <laughs> yeah, disgusting. Cleopatra. Wait, <laughs> oh, there's one of you. <laughs> No, he's a Roman poet, and I'm going to tell you about that. Um, the, <laughs> the whiskey, by the way, well, it, yeah, it is Scottish. Um, it's uh, Dalwini, and Dalwini Distillery I have been to, which is near Inverness. I spent some time mm-hmm. there last year, and it's the highest distillery in the country. So it's very, very cold for making whiskey there, and that's kind of like there. Their distinctive thing as a, as a distillery. Is that like? Is it preferable making whiskey? No, not especially. Um, it's. I think the thing that matters most, well, obviously, aside from the ingredients and everything, is um, I found is the purity of the water. So a lot of the distilleries take pride in the springs that they're near. I have noticed, and then obviously, you know, they'll take different sorts of malts I think the Dalwini one is Speyside but I won't go into that because lots of people know a lot of things about whiskey and um, I'll dig myself into a hole at some point <laughs> but no it's not really how, about how cold it is but it, it is nice okay so the Scottish poet Horace um, yes 
<laughs> yeah, so he was Roman. Um, and in about 30 BCE or so, um, they, the Romans had just defeated Cleopatra, uh, queen of Egypt, sent her pack him. And uh, news of her suicide reaches Rome, and so Horace writes the Cleopatra Ode. He publishes a book of odes in 23 BCE. One of them is the Cleopatra Ode. And it starts off with this nunc est bibendum, now is the time for drinking, because they want to celebrate the fact that they've had a victory. So um, for, the, for the people who don't necessarily know what it's about, I don't know if now is the time for drinking is necessarily you know, that they want to recall Cleopatra's downfall. It doesn't feel like something many people really celebrate today. Oh, do you remember when Cleopatra died, killed herself? So, I'm willing to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, so he spends a couple of verses sort of saying, yay, victory, we burned all her ships, she fled back. And then she died by, well, we, we don't know, probably some kind of snake poison. So either directly asp into self. Asp. Asp. Dead asp. Maybe she sat on an asp. <laughs> but some people think that she got the poison like on a hairpin and then stabbed herself with it as well. So we will. Yeah, one way or another. She was, essentially, she was allowed to choose her own suicide. We can be fairly certain of that. Because she was okay. And then at the end, he sort of says, oh, but she was noble, wasn't she? Just to be magnanimous after going on for two verses about how great it is that they defeated her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to be so prolific that someone writes two verses about me. Oh, I'll do it if you want. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it will start non-cespibendum. <laughs> Oh, just Aliri's drunk again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, none of those verses will be flattering, but I will write it if you want. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Might write it for next time. Just get it ready, just in case. So you're probably wondering what that actually has to do with Michelin. Michelin yes, says. the Michelin man. The Michelin man, exactly. Off of the adverts. Of, off of the adverts. So it's, he's very old, the Michelin man. He's late 19th century. He's looking good. He does look good. He looks a lot better than he used to as well, and I'll get to that. But uh, he was created at the end of the 19th century, and the, uh, the makers of Michelin tyres had been to this expo in Paris in, in 1894, and they saw a bunch of tyres stacked up and said, oh, that kind of looks like a man, doesn't it? and had the idea for their mascot. Like, you know, with, yeah. with, with his arms and his trunk and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Stay with me. And then a few years later, <laughs> they meet this French cartoonist. Uh, he's known as O'Gallop, but his name, real name is Marius Rossillon. And okay. he'd created uh, an image for a Munich brewery that got rejected. And it was <laughs> essentially this very portly figure at um you know at a table and he's got a he's raising a glass and they didn't want it i guess he looks too loose but um the the michelin people thought oh that's great but can you make that man out of tires so 
they create <laughs> <laughs> so they create the Michelin Man, and originally it was bicycle tires as well, not um, not like car tires. But they create the uh, bicycle tired portly man, and he's holding a glass that's full of road hazards, so like um, nails and broken glass and stuff. And then the other people at his table are looking all puny. And the on the poster, what's written is "Nunces bebendum." So now is the time for drinking. And then "Cetadire a votre santé, la nu Michelin boit l'obstacle," which is that is to say, "Here's to your health." The Michelin tire drinks up obstacles. So the image they were going for is drink up. Our tires can go over any obstacle, and everyone else is kind of looking weedy. All I got was something about drink driving and a lobster car. Right. (laughs) Drunk lobsters (laughs) driving cars. (laughs) Christ, can you imagine trying to get that signed off now? Yeah, I know. None none of these classic 19th century ads would have made it through um, any kind of modern marketing process. And yeah... (laughs) And yet, he does still exist. I mean, this is the thing. Like, this character does still exist. He is still called Bibendum. But obviously... He's one of the oldest... No, people don't really know now, do they? He's one of the oldest trademarks, actually, because it was 1890s. Um, In the UK, trademarks were 1870s introduced. Do you know the first UK trademark? No. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I was waiting for a great guess. Wait, what was the date? I will guess. It's, uh, I believe it's 1874, something like that. 1875. I was thinking more along the lines of like jewellery to trade, like, no, it's not a trademark. I was thinking like, you know, gold, <laughs> but that's more of a... <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're thinking of like a, um, uh, a quality mark. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can't imagine what would be trademarked back then. It must be a food or a drink. Yes. <clears throat> no, I haven't got it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, happy, I'm, ha- I'm happy with food or drink. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll tell you. So the first um, trademark in the UK was Bass Brewery. Ah. Specifically associated with that triangle. Um, yeah. That was the first UK trademark. We did much better than other uh, other places. Germany's first trademark was steel. Uh, US's first trademark was paint, I believe. Not bad. So <laughs> we, did, we did pretty well for, you know, picking out our first one. But anyway, France had trademarks a bit earlier, 1850s. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been on the go for about 40 years by the time Michelin Man comes along. But he's still pretty old because he's still in existence, unlike some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, he went through quite a few uh, changes of appearance. So he started off white, because in those days, tyres were white. Mm-hmm. And they'd, uh, they'd become known, these tyres, because they were some of the first inflated ones. So before, they were just like solid. That's why these yeah. ones coped better with hazards on the road. But then... In nine, from 1912 onwards, tyres became black because carbon was added to the basic rubber material. Okay. And when they did that, they did change bibendum to black tyres for um, a fairly short period for, for a few print ads, but they changed it back quite quickly. 
and mm -hmm. there were some thoughts that it was due to um, you know protest or sensibilities around portraying ethnicity yeah they said that wasn't the case and i'm inclined to believe them given how early that actually was you well, know as a date thing. i don't think they would have been my immediate thought when you said they changed it to black i was like ooh, but that's 2020 me not way back then you'd yeah. think way back then it wouldn't even be a thought not 1910s you exactly yeah. so i think it probably was just that they felt in terms of poster design and so forth it was more aesthetically pleasing to stick with the white tires so they did but in his original form as i say he was portly uh, he was made of bicycle tires he wore a pince-nez nice <laughs> yes and he smoked a cigar sounds like an absolute lad exactly so basically he was an absolute lad uh, which was great for the early 20th century but he starts losing those features as we go by the 1980s they realise that this isn't a good look for anyone. Um, and they, they're updating the tyres to get thicker, to be more like the car tyres. Um, they start slimming down a bit. He loses the cigar and pants and and he's pictured running, rather than in the original ads, he's just sitting in the chair enjoying himself and having a drink. <laughs> um, then he gets, uh, he gets even slimmer as we get to the modern age, he becomes CGI animated. He gains a puppy companion called Bubbles. Oh. Which I think is kind of a nice choice of name because, again, you don't necessarily know that it's associated with a drink, but maybe that's what's yeah. going through their head. Yeah. Oh, they should do a twenty twenty version of him with like a top knot and I don't know, he's riding some douchey bike. <laughs> Are you, is this your official pitch to uh, go do some consulting for Michelin? What do you? It's better than the original pitch. I don't know. I liked the original. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fat guy with the pants nose. <laughs> if I'm ever, I mean, I don't drive, but if I'm going to buy a tire, <laughs> it's going to be from that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he needs true. something sturdy, you know? The guy who's running doesn't need it. No, I'm, I'm still in a picture. Top knot. He's holding like a bag of ad avocados. He's vaping. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the cigar, he switched to vaping. Yeah. <laughs> Update. So, obviously, in addition to tyres, uh, Michelin's known for the Michelin Guide. Yeah. You know, originally place, places that are good to stop and eat when you're on the road. And now mm -hmm. it's all about how schmancy you could be. And I've never bothered to look at it because I don't care. But I thought, oh, do they have a section for drinks? Do they have like a Michelin guide for, for drinks or bars? And they don't really. They do have some information on drinks. So they have uh, symbols of grapes or a sake set or a cocktail glass, which indicates that the restaurants offer kind of, <laughs> it says at minimum, a somewhat interesting selection of wines, sake or cocktails, respectively. Such a douchey way of putting it, isn't it? But um, yeah. beyond that, they don't really have any guidance. So um, I thought I'd throw that challenge over to you. How do we know the best places to be for drinks? Well, there is an official list of bars, the world's 50 best bars, uh, and they have an annual award ceremony. Uh, last year, it was in the Roundhouse in London. And basically they get like the planet's best bartenders, 
industry VIPs, media, and it's just like an ultimate bucket list for anyone who's into their drinks. These are the guys that know what they're doing. Uh, and so they then publish a list of the best bars in the world. So I've been looking through because there's 50 of them. So I'm not going to bore you with all 50. Uh, so I just picked out some that kind of stuck out. And one of them is called Carnival in Lima, Peru. Um, so the bartender there is known for like his crazy imagination and he makes these wild drinks. Um, but they practice a belief in that bar, which is an idea, a memory, a journey or a mistake in the bar becomes its own unique cocktail, which I just like the idea of. Because imagine like you got really, really, really drunk at that bar and like threw up everywhere or shit yourself. Like, oh, we'll make it a cocktail. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you, you really knew how to very quickly lower the tone of this guide, didn't you? Absolutely. <laughs> Your unique story. <laughs> yeah. I'd like uh, a large Leary shit herself here, please. <laughs> what would be in it? Um, it would be, only because I cannot stop drinking it right now, Oatly chocolate milk. Yeah, I mean, it had to be brown, didn't it? Yeah, so Oakley chocolate milk, um, some kind of spiced rum, uh, maybe a bit of chilli in there, just so you won't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> you, won't, you won't forget it the morning after. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You'll remember where you've been. <laughs> uh, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you what my cocktail would be? I've thought of it. Oh yeah. My me. cocktail is called Judgment. Um, and it's just three glasses of whatever spirit you want. One's really good and the other two are supermarket. And oh. it's up to you to decide whether you've got good judgment or whether you care at all about it. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> always say like the drinks at Aldi are mega cheap but really good like their wines and their processes yeah. and stuff yeah absolutely everyone should do a blind tasting of sorts at some point um, yeah. to know whether they've been you know uh, not duped but um, their height whether how suggestible they are to things like branding and storytelling of, of cocktails and absolutely yeah. Um, another one that jumped out at me was a place called Atlas in Singapore, mainly because I I went to Singapore last July and it was on my list of places to go. I didn't know it was named one of the best bars of the world. It was just somewhere that one of my friends had recommended among a huge list. And it was one of the only bars that we didn't go to. So I'm really, really annoyed. Um but yeah, apparently it's like a really good gin bar. It's got one of the biggest gin libraries in the world, like 1,300 gins. Now, when you say gin library, I am picturing it in a room full of books and big computers. <laughs> well, I've not been there and I've not seen pictures. I don't want to torture myself with it. But apparently the, the room that said gin is in is a sight to behold. They're displayed in a really cool way. So, okay. yes, I really want to go there. Mm. 
<laughs> what were the drinking highlights of Singapore? I mean, we should probably do that properly at end of the time, but can you give me one? Yeah. I mean, we went to Raffles and had a Singapore sling, which oh, was delightful. It's great. And a Singapore sling is gin, cherry yes. brandy, yes, pineapple. Oh, I don't know. This? I know gin and cherry brandy. I'm not sure what else. It's yeah. quite sweet. Gin, cherry brandy, pineapple, pineapple bitters, and probably something else that I've forgotten. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, it yeah. went down easily. But the funny thing is we went there and had that, which was delightful. And just around the corner, because we drank a bit too much, we went on a, a, a hunt for food and it was a bit too late. But we did find this little dive bar to go in that was serving chips. But it turns out said dive bar was actually a gaming bar. And we went in and played board games for about an hour and ate loads of chips and drank more. And it was great. I mean, let's face it, that's more you're seeing anyway, isn't it? Exactly. I didn't feel <laughs> in raffles. Speaking of not feeling right in raffles, I also didn't feel right in Marina Bay Sands. Uh, we went right up to the top of Marina Bay Sands and paid a hideous amount of money for a drink just to have the view. It was great, but okay. not my scene. So may um, maybe this recommendation is actually onto something then. Yeah, maybe. Right. And. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, more my scene is the place in Norway I've found on the bars, best bars list. It's called Kimcock. <laughs> Do you know anything about it other than that? Or was that the point at which you made your judgment you want to go there? Well, I didn't know anything about it. And that was why I was like, right, that's on the list, Himcock. But reading about it, it sounds really good. So Himcock is actually the Norwegian word for moonshine. Ooh. Um, I'm guessing that's a nod towards the fact that everything they serve there is made in-house because they've got a distillery there. Mm -hmm. um, I say everything, 80% of the spirits served there are made there. And it's multiple levels. It sounds amazing. They've got multiple levels. They've got micro bars all over the place. They've got a distillery. Randomly, in the basement, they've got a barber shop. So I, I, I don't know how you'd fit that into your evening, but... Whatever. I mean, I would say preferably at the start of the evening rather than the end. I see, I'd be more inclined to the end. <laughs> I'd be like, let's get really, really drunk and play some games and the loser has to have a skinhead. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, finally, on the top floor, they have uh, a cocktail on tap offer, which mm -hmm. is called Tap, tap Tales. So I just love the idea of, yeah, I guess you could start in the basement, get your hair done, then go to the distillery and see what's going on, and then do like a micro bar crawl up to the top where you could just put your mouth under a tap and drink cocktail. Sounds like perfect. Take me to Himcock now. <laughs> <laughs> she screams regularly. <laughs> um, the only problem I have with that is because you said tap tails, I now have the DuckTales theme tune going around to my head. Exactly. Don't leave me hanging. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Is that my cue? I thought you were going to do it. I'd already done it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. speaking of themes, uh, this one, the next one I picked purely because it reminded me of Guest House Paradiso, my, one of my favourite bottom offerings. <laughs> 
<laughs> that sounds so wrong. <laughs> uh, I just want to say has, uh, she has many. Rick, Rick Mail's bottom, not mine. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a bar in Barcelona called Paradiso. Mm-hmm. It sounds incredible. I'm just going to read the description straight up because I feel like I won't do it justice. Uh, so it says, Paradiso isn't a bar; it's a Broadway show. From the moment you enter through the pastrami bar freezer door, uh, what? To the moment you leave the bar's Dali-esque interior, it's all about having fun. So while the cocktails aren't the only things to entice the crowds, they certainly take centre stage. Housed in vessels, if we can call them that, bespoke made by local craftspeople, some cocktails change colour, others transition from sweet to bitter, there are those that are guillotined in half in front of you and others you can't even find. That sounds intriguing. Yes. So, Barcelona is now on my bucket list. Barcelona is beautiful. Yeah, I've never been, and now I want to go even more. Yeah, that's one of many excellent reasons to go there. There's been quite a few bars though that you go through a freezer. You know, a freezer or a yes. Have you been to the one in London? Yeah, there's a few of them. Um, I think the Breakfast Club has a lot of them you have to kind of use a particular code word but there's been quite a lot of them i mean obviously you know they they come from the speakeasy tradition Mm -hmm. um but i want people to be a bit more creative with their entrance now yes (laughs) like we've had (laughs) so to speak um we've yeah we've had a lot of freezers and so forth i want to do you know what i really want to do you know the 90s children's adventure show nightmare Yes. You know when they put on the helmet and then to get to level two, they had to climb into the well and drop. <laughs> That's what I want yeah. to do. I want to be directed like through some imaginary corridor of buzz saws and then jump into a, a well as someone pretending to be a goblin creeps up behind me. That's how I want to enter a speakeasy, please. Perfect. <laughs> um, um, got didn't look at many more, um, but there was one in the, a restaurant in London called The Bendum. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, yes. I've not been. Have you been? No, but I know I know of it. It's Claude, Claude Bossy. Claude Bossy. It looks... He has one called The Bendum, which I'm presuming he's named directly after the Latin for drink and not after tyres. Amazing. Well, maybe it was just like a desperate shout for a, for a Michelin star. I don't know. <laughs> Questioning maybe, his he, maybe he did change his name. Maybe he really hates Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> I should get in touch with him and ask if he wants to drink to her death. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Say some like, really just awful things about Cleopatra and see how he takes it. <laughs> Whether that oh. was his uh, move or not. All right, well... <laughs> Speaking of Bibendum, I guess that that brings me back to um, the big white puffy thing. Yeah, I whenever I think of the Michelin Man, I think of Ghostbusters. Well, exactly. So the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Yes. Um, he, I mean, he was based on Michelin's Bibendum. He's a hybrid of um, the Michelin Man and the Pillsbury Doughboy. Mm-hmm. I think that. In the US, they've probably been more familiar with the Pillsbury Doughboy than we were. I don't really remember him, the Pillsbury Doughboy from the 80s over here. I definitely remember the Michelin Man. Yeah. Not the Pillsbury Doughboy. So I, I agree that was, they were the same thing. 
Like when I watched this, I was like, well, that's the Michelin man. I didn't know any different, but I suppose I was only about five. Um, but he is actually in the French dubbed version of Ghostbusters. He is called Bibendum Chamello. And Chamello oh. is like a common um, mis misspelling or mispronunciation of marshmallow in French. Oh. So they literally called him, yeah, Bibendum Marshmallow. So they didn't even kind of have the Doughboy, Doughboy thing. But I suppose that was yeah. to appeal to the French audience. Yeah. Did it the wrong way. Um, and what I was going to say, so the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man, uh, in the film, they say that he's the physical manifestation of the Sumerian deity Goza. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> he's... <laughs> So that the uh, the Ghostbusters are back battling this, you know, uh, kind of evil Sumerian force, and Goza is the gatekeeper of something else made up. Anyway, the point being that it's there is no Sumerian deity called Goza. Um, they completely made that up. I'm going to talk about Sumerian deities on another occasion because I've got a lot to say about Sumeria and I love it, but I won't. <laughs> I won't this time. I'm going to spare you. Um, so Goza. Uh, Dan Aykroyd said, yeah, you know, it's not, it's not Sumerian, but it is the name of a car dealership in upstate New York, kind of. It's also my favourite side at Wagamama. <laughs> you mean Goza? <laughs> <laughs> Similar. Um, actually, Goza, uh, spelled G-O-S-E, is a, is a beer coming from like around um, Belgium and Germany and stuff. We'll do that on another occasion. This is G-O-Z-E-R, goes there. Anyway, so he said, oh, it's the name of a New York car dealership, which I think we seem just being facetious because it's much more likely that he took it from, we heard of the Enfield Haunting? No. <laughs> the Enfield Haunting was this very kind of well-known case of a, of a haunted house and a possessed girl and stuff in, in Enfield, um, in London. Mm -hmm. And it made international headlines. In fact, if you've seen the Conjuring films, it's the plot for the second Conjuring film. And, you know, the, the girl would say she was possessed and talk with a demonic voice. And there are lots of books about it and lots of horror films have been inspired by it. And, the name of the person that she said she was speaking from was Goza. So it's much more likely that Dan Aykroyd read a news article about this going on and thought, oh, Goza, that would be a good name for it, and stole it from that. So, <laughs> the type of Marshmallow Man originated in Enfield. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Um, also, there is a beer called Stay Puffed from your neck of the woods by... Yes, that Tiny Rebel. Yes. yes. Tiny Rebel Brewery. So I found there's quite a few like porters um, that are flavoured with marshmallow. Over here they say like port marshmallow porter in the US it's usually s'mores they call it because obviously marshmallows are in s'mores but they just call it s'mores over here with marshmallows. Um, and I have had a Stay Puffs quite a few years ago and I thought it was delicious but um, generally avoid the marshmallows these days because of um, them having gelatin in. So yeah. I was thinking, well, I know that marshmallow is a flower. So why has it got, you know, gelatin in? What happened there? 
So I looked it up and the marshmallow root used to be eaten quite a lot in, mm -hmm. and we're coming full circle, ancient Egypt. Ah. Yes, from like it goes back as far as 2000 BCE and they would um, cook up the roots and use it as a medicinal thing. It, it um, soothes uh, mucus and coughs and respiratory tracts and all that sort of stuff. So is the marshmallow root naturally sweet or? Is no, that... so they would sweeten it up with honey. Yeah, so they... I'm so intrigued to know what marshmallow tastes like. Yeah, well, they, they still, um, some places still eat it. So if you, some people cook it up as a savory dish, like they'll have it with onions and potatoes and stuff. You can actually get the sap still prescribed in Russian pharmacies as a, as a tincture for respiratory um, illnesses. But yeah, if you, uh, if you boil the root pulp up with honey until it kind of becomes thick and then you strain it and cool it, then you can turn it into a sort of, you know, lozenge or a, or a sweet. And they rediscovered that and popularized it in 1800s France. And when they were, you know, really getting to their confectionery and their sugar, and they would add sugar to it and egg whites and sell it as a bar and all these sorts of things. And then in the late 1800s, they started to really manufacture it, you know, on a much bigger scale. And it's at that point that they just swapped out the marshmallow root for, for gelatin um, and used kind of other cheaper starches and, and gelatins and egg whites and stuff to make it fluffy. So now it is just water, air, sugar and gelatin. When you have a marshmallow, it's got no, no relation to the original medicinal one. So I would love to see a marshmallow porter or beer or something that actually uses the marshmallow root rather than of our modern versions of marshmallows now i think that'd be great get on the blower i reckon brew dog would do it yeah if you could come up with one of your um fantastic marketing pitches like you did for um <laughs> well why don't we do that we'll reinvent the mission man and pitch it to brew dog to make a marshmallow beer porter yes and we can just call Done. it debendum <laughs> debender debender <laughs> <laughs> The Bender, the original marshmallow, like before it became cool. <laughs> yes. Before it became popular in 19th century France. <laughs> you, can, you can always do something before someone if you go back to the ancient Romans or Greeks. <laughs> oh, I, think I think that's us done for today. Um, <laughs> Our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to burn rubber, baby. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Or land or sea or fall. You can always hear me sing in this song. Show me the way to go. Disgusting.